five, chapter one, and one to five. An oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, the Lord says? Yet I have, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I have turned his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to these desert jackals. Edom may say, though we, we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. Amen. Uh, let's pray together. The service will probably be asking you to bring drinks along. More details will be going out in the week leading up to that. Um, but the AGM family meeting is on the 19th of September. And um, as we've mentioned before, it's not just for members. Anybody connected with the bridge who would like to come along, you'd be very welcome. It would be great to see you straight after the service on the 19th. So we're starting a new series back in the Old Testament, and the prophecy of Malachi. Uh, this last week, uh, Kath and the kids and I were in London. Uh, we went to um, Harry Potter Studios, which is fantastic. And then the following day, we went to the Natural History Museum. And I'd been there for years, and I'd forgotten how massive that place is. If you've been to any of the, the museums in London or any big city, they're huge places, aren't they? Really easy to get lost. But thankfully, in a couple of places around the museum, as well as on the map that we purchased for a pound, you've got this little signal, this little sign with a fairly big arrow saying, you are here. And if you're not used to the place, that's extremely useful. So um, in terms of where we are in the Bible right now, just to say, well, you are here in Malachi, okay, but where is that relative to the rest of the Bible? Well, to give you an idea, um, obviously it's at the end of your Old Testament, so hopefully you've got your Bibles there in front of you. Do bring them uh, in the coming weeks if you haven't got a Bible with you, either physically or on your phone. But when you get to the end of Malachi, so in my Bible, that's page 723, you turn over the page, and there's a blank page, and then you've got the New Testament. And that blank page is basically 400 years of history on which the Bible itself is silent. 400 plus years in which there is no word of prophecy recorded anyway to the people of Israel. So there's 400 years between the end of Malachi and the start of your New Testament. 400 years between the prophecy of Malachi and the next prophet who comes to the people of Israel, who is John the Baptist, preparing the way for Jesus. It's really apt, I think, that Malachi is the last prophecy in the Old Testament, the last prophecy to the people of Israel, because it's basically the Old Testament in miniature. I'll try and say more about that in the podcast uh, this week, if Dave re uh, remembers to ask me that question. But it really is the Old Testament in miniature, as we're going to be seeing in the weeks that lie ahead. And it's the last thing that God says before we get to John the Baptist and Jesus. So it's really worth hearing what the last word of God to his people of Israel was before that silence of 400 years. 
Malachi was ministering, just to try and locate it a bit more for you, decades after the return from exile. You know, the people had gone into exile. First of all, um, the north had gone into exile in Assyria, and then the south had gone into Israel in, uh, into exile in Babylon. And then the Persians had taken over from the Babylonians, and under the Persians, the people of Judah had finally begun filtering back to the land. This is, and this, Malachi's prophecy, is decades after the return from exile. We don't know for sure, but probably around the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. You may remember a few years ago, we looked at the book of Nehemiah, the, the, the history of how God used Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Well, it's around about that time that Malachi is speaking to the people on God's behalf. But where Nehemiah, for example, for all the obstacles he faced, if you remember, was relatively positive in tone, the walls of the city were going back up and wonderful things were happening and that book uh, is full of the rejoicing of the people of God, Malachi seems a lot less positive. So much so that when I was chatting to somebody here a few weeks ago about starting in Malachi, um, he said, yeah, God's quite cross with the people in Malachi, isn't he? God's cross with Israel. He's cross with Judah. And there's a lot of truth in that. Each of the main, the six main sections of Malachi is basically framed as a dispute between God and the people. God says something and the people contradict it and they get into this dispute. God is chastising his people. He's showing them and telling them what they're doing wrong. But we mustn't lose sight of the fact that the people are actually cross with God. The people of Judah in Jerusalem in particular, were in a sulk. They got quite cynical towards God. They'd become disillusioned. They'd become apathetic in their worship. They'd become cynical, sulkily going through the motions of their worship, as we'll see as we go along, because their national and individual lives were not up to expectations. And because God wasn't coming through for them, their worship had become impure, it had become dishonoring to God, it had become something that wasn't real. Sound familiar? That can happen to us, can't it, in the Christian life, certainly, as God's new covenant people. Hence the word of God to them. God speaks to them, he challenges them, he woos them to bring them out of their cynicism and back into authentic, joyful worship, which is what he's called them for in the first place. So you may be thinking, okay, Matt, you, you said that we can get formulaic and we can get apathetic in our worship, but really, is it worth us spending seven weeks, there's going to be seven weeks, God willing, on this, if it's a word to the nation of Israel more than 2,400 years ago? Is it really worth doing that? We often ask that question when we come to weird, difficult bits of the Old Testament in particular. Well, I want to briefly try and answer that question first of all by giving two reasons to read Malachi. And then I want to zoom in on this first section in particular and look at two truths that teach us. So let's start out firstly with two reasons to read Malachi in case you need them. First reason to read Malachi is this. It's the word of the Lord. Verse 1, a prophecy. The word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. This was God speaking to his people Israel through the prophet Malachi. This is God's word. And I mean, this is God's word. From Genesis through to Revelation. Peter says in his first epistle that the word of the Lord endures forever. We're told in scripture that this is a powerful word. It's effective. It does what God wants it to do. 
Paul in Acts 20 is recorded as referring to all this, the Old Testament in particular, as the whole counsel of God. Everything God has got to say in Old as well as New Testaments is the Word of God to us. And the New Testament writers tell us it's the Word of God to us, His new covenant people as well. And yet it's true that we as the church, the new covenant church, aren't supposed to completely identify with Israel in every way, Old Testament Israel. There are important differences. Israel was one national group, a nation. And not all of the people of Israel who were truly part of the nation of Israel were truly people of faith. That becomes obvious when you read your Bibles. Whereas the church is people from every nation across the face of the earth and those people from every nation who believe God and his promises. There are differences between Old Testament Israel and the New Testament church, but there are so many important organic links as well that we can learn from as we seek to worship the God who does not change. That's one of the wonderful verses in Malachi. I hope you've read Malachi already, by the way. If you haven't, treat it as your homework for the week to read through it a few times. It's such a short book. One of the key words there, one of the key verses is God saying, I, the Lord, do not change. And so this, his word, applies to us today in all sorts of important ways. These things, Paul said to the Romans and to the Corinthians, these things were written for our instruction. We need the whole counsel of God. This is the word of God. By the way, I'm going to say more about this in the podcast again. Dave, wherever you are, if you can think to ask me this, thank you. Um, that This is the word of God to us, particularly importantly, in that it speaks of Jesus. If you've read through it already, you'll see a few obvious places that speak of Jesus, but I'm going to try and show, we're going to try and show, Dave and I, as we go through this book, that in all sorts of ways, it speaks of Jesus. We're going to be using titles like true love, true worship, true marriage, true justice, true generosity, true hope, true joy. But in each one of those sections that speak of those true things, we see pointers to and glimmers of Jesus, which I'm going to try, we're going to try and flag up as we go through. So, One reason to read Malachi and to look at it on Sunday mornings, it's the word of the Lord. And we need the word of the Lord, don't we? Two people think so. Anke, three, pray. Amen. We do. We're not the church without the word of the Lord. We can't stay the church without the word of the Lord. We need to hear God speaking. When you heard this read earlier by Kath or whoever is reading it, when you hear it preached truly, you are hearing God speak. We need this word. Second reason to read Malachi, it teaches us about true worship. I was, I was struggling to come up with a title. There are all sorts of good titles. You could give a series on Malachi, but we've gone with, it was on the title side, sorry. Don't go back. Don't worry, Owen. Um, true worship. I think it's a really good way of summing up what Malachi is about. It's a good umbrella term to sum up this whole prophecy. And when I say true worship, don't think just Sunday worship, but think Romans 12, all of life worship. See, God had chosen and called Israel. By the way, when you see reference to Israel here, he's talking particularly about Judah, the southern kingdom. God had called Israel, called Judah to be a worshiping community, to love him and to live for his glory. The trouble is, as I've already said, their worship, since the temple and the city had been rebuilt after their return from exile, their worship had got formal, dry. It was going through the motions. It was apathetic. It it was cynical even. Because they were looking at their difficult circumstances, which I'll say more about in a minute, and they were allowing that to affect their worship. 
the whole of their worship, their worship in the temple, their worship in their everyday lives. Their hearts weren't tuned to worship. And again, I just want to say, and I'm sure we know this is true, this can happen to the new covenant people of God. It can happen to the church that we're doing the right stuff, but our hearts aren't in it. We've got apathetic, we've got dry. Our hearts aren't tuned to worship. And this prophecy helps us tune our hearts to worship. God shows the people their hearts and he shows the people his heart so that they might return to true, joyful, God-glorifying, God-enjoying worship. And in a sense, that's what the whole Bible is about, isn't it? How God has two people in the Garden of Eden created and perfect to worship him and they mess up and now we're all messed up and God is redeeming, saving, rescuing, building now a worshiping people that's called the church. This is what the Bible as a whole is about. One of the ways in which Malachi is like the Old Testament in miniature. So those are my two reasons. I'll try and give more in the podcast this week about why we're spending this time in Malachi. It's the word of the Lord and we need the word of the Lord. And it teaches us about true worship and we are saved to be worshipers. That's why we're here. You're not ticking a box. You're not earning any credit with God by being here this morning. Jesus has done it all on the cross. You're here to joyfully to respond to what God has done in your lives and tell the world about him. That's worship. And this prophecy helps us do that. So those are two things, two reasons to read Malachi. And now, looking at this morning's passage, verses 1 to 5, two truths to orient us to true worship. These were two truths to reorient the people of Israel, the people of Judah, to true worship. And they speak to us as well. The first truth that God shows them in this prophecy to reorient their hearts to true worship is this. They needed to guard their hearts against circumstance-induced cynicism. I couldn't find a short way of saying that, so I'll say it again. They needed to guard their hearts against circumstance-induced cynicism. The people of Judah, back in the land for a few generations now, after the return from exile, they've grown cynical, as I've already said, about God's love for them. Why? Because of what they were seeing in their everyday lives, because of what they were seeing around them in their land, because of their circumstances. This is why they ask this breathtaking question in the middle of verse 2, but you ask, how have you loved us? Malachi is saying that the people are saying to God, how have you loved us, Lord? It's breathtaking, isn't it? But their thinking, which we can probably sympathize with in some ways, was something like this. God, if we are your people, why did we have to go through the exile in the first place? Well, all right, we sinned back then, okay, so I can understand why we went through the exile. But why do we have to go through that when, when nations like Edom, who's mentioned in this first passage, Edom, who helped the Babylonians against us, Edom, who were quite happy and prosperous while we were in exile, how come they've prospered? If we're your special people, why are things for us so hard politically, economically? Why are things so difficult? We're still effectively a, a vassal state under Persian rule, paying heavy taxes and heavy tributes. This doesn't feel like we're your chosen people, Lord. You said in, through Zechariah, you said through Haggai, you said through Isaiah that great things would happen, God. You promised glorious things for us, your people. You promised glorious things for Jerusalem. You promised peace. You promised prosperity. You promised your glory would return to the temple. You promised that the nations would bring tribute to Jerusalem, to the God of Israel. Where's all that? Where's the evidence of the things you promised, Lord? That's not what we're seeing in our everyday lives. 
That's probably what lots of people thought in Jesus' day as well, actually, under Roman occupation. The people of God were thinking, are we really your people if life is so hard? And they were thinking, basically, look, if God doesn't care that much about us, why should we care that much? And it, of course, then had an effect on their worship. Th- their worship was just going through the motions because their hearts weren't in it because they thought God didn't care because they were focused on their circumstances. Now, does that thinking sound familiar? As I think in my life, it certainly does. I've been there, and I'm sure you have, and maybe you are right now, where you, you're thinking things like this. My life is not what I hoped. Life is just not what I planned. It's not what I dreamed when I was young, maybe. My dreams seem to have evaporated. If I'm yours, Lord, if you really love me, why am I in this terrible financial situation when I've tried to be careful? Why have I got no job or why have I got a job I hate? Lord, why are my relationships in such a mess? Why is my marriage struggling or falling apart? Why is my mental health so bad? Why are my emotions so painful? Why am I suffering from this physical problem, this illness? You say you love me, Lord, and I'm one of your people, but I just can't see that in my circumstances. Anybody else been there? Frankly, Lord, we sometimes think, I can't really see what you've done for me lately. Your word makes some wonderful claims and promises, but where are they? And Malachi reminds us, the God's people in the new covenant. God's people in the 21st century can start to think that way, just as the people back then did. And it can lead to doubt then. We start to doubt God's love. And then doubt, if it carries on, and if it's not addressed, if it's not worked through with other believers and in prayer, doubt can become apathy, which can become cynicism and hardness of heart. When we doubt God's love because we're looking at our circumstances, And we start to believe the lie that he doesn't love us. And into this circumstance-focused cynicism, God's word comes. Which brings us to our second point about this particular passage. God's word comes as God says, I have loved you. I have loved you. So our second point is that the answer to this cynicism of heart is to look beyond circumstances to the covenant love of God. Look beyond circumstances to the covenant love of God. When we really hear what God says about his love, we are made to look away from just concentrating on what's happening now and we are made to look backwards at what God has done for us and forwards to what he is going to do for us. This is what I mean by his covenant love. When God says, I have loved you. He's speaking of covenant love. That's why we've got this dialogue here about Esau and Jacob, about love and hate. It's covenant language. Of course, God loves the world. John 3.16 tells us that. God loves all people in a very important sense. But in this covenant sense, he loves his people with a special love. Just like, just like I, you know, I love all the people in this church. I love all the kids in this church. But I don't love the kids in this church exactly the same way as I love Tom and Sophia. There's a difference. God has this special covenant love for his people who believe in him. So when he's speaking of hating Esau, he's saying he, the people who are descended from him are not my people. I don't love them with a covenant love. They're not in a covenant relationship with me. Covenant is about God's 
sovereign choosing and about his solemn promises. God's covenant love has a, a steadiness and a, and a depth and a length and a, and a solemnity to it. His covenant love for his people. God's covenant love is not just a temporary feeling God had that can dissipate. It's solid, steadfast covenant love. And that's what Malachi is encouraging the people to look to rather than just looking at their circumstances. Seeing the reality of his covenant love, as I say, means looking backwards at what God has done and forward to what God is going to do. Backwards to the fact that God has chosen them. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. See, the, the people were looking at Edom and saying, how come they're doing so well when they're not God's people? And God's saying, you're not looking at the big picture. I've chosen you. I knew you before you were here. I loved you before you were here. You are my covenant people. You were chosen by me to be distinct from the nations in order to be a blessing to the nations. This is a huge encouragement to me, incidentally. When you go back to those two individuals, the heads of those two nations, Jacob, who was the head of Israel, and Esau, who the people of Edom were descended from, when you look at Jacob and Esau, it's if you know the story at all, if you don't read up on it, it's definitely not that God chose Jacob to be a blessing to the nations and to be his because Jacob was a great guy. He wasn't. He was a loser. He was untrustworthy. He was an awful sinner like the rest of us. God didn't choose him because he was worth choosing. He chose him because he chose him. He chose him because he loved him. And this is what God is pointing the people to. You are my chosen people to accomplish my purposes. God clearly does not choose the best, the biggest, the brightest, and the most sincere. And that is a huge encouragement to me. And God is saying to them, how can you doubt my love? I chose you. Now, that's for them, the people of God in the Old Testament. What about for us? Well, for us, the same is true, but even more so, in an even more wonderful way, because new, the new covenant people of God, believers in Jesus Christ, because they are believing in Jesus and simply because they're believing in Jesus, can know that they believed because God knew them and loved them and chose them before time to become part of this multinational people of faith called the church. And that God accomplished this through the sending of his only son and gave his son. If you are believing in Jesus, you know he gave his son on the cross for you. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul speaks of this, the church being chosen before the foundation of the world, loved before the foundation of the world, redeemed through the blood of Jesus. In other words, God chose you as one for whom Jesus would die. That's how much he loves you, believer. However weak your faith may feel, if you are relying on trusting in Jesus and Jesus only, whatever the circumstances might be, God says this to you. I love you. I have loved you with a covenant love. The reason you believe in Jesus this morning, and this is a mysterious thing we can't completely understand, is that before the foundation of the world, Christian, he knew you, he loved you, he chose you. And he saved you. We need to look beyond our circumstances and look back at what God has done for us. 
We also need to look back at everything that God has done for us so far. As, as you read through Malachi in the Old Testament, this is what the people of God are encouraged to do, to remember what God has already done for them. For them, the evidence that God had loved them was that they were here in the land. They hadn't just disappeared into exile. The temple had been rebuilt. The walls of Jerusalem had gone back up. The people were still in existence. The, the line to the promised Messiah was still there. It hadn't been broken. That was the evidence that God had loved them, the people of Judah. What about us? The, the people of God today. Well, for us, we can know that however weak our faith, here we are. Do you feel battered by circumstances and you're, you're starting to doubt the love of God and maybe you've been tempted to this sort of cynicism, but you're here and you're, you're, you're trusting Jesus? Well, you're here and you're trusting Jesus. Doesn't that show that you're one of his people, that he has loved you from before the foundation of the world? Do you think it's you who brought you here this morning? You might have well came because I had to come. It would have been embarrassing if I didn't, or somebody dragged me along, or somebody told me I had to come. No, you're here because God brought you here. And he is speaking to you through his word. God's love, Christian, has won you, and God's love will keep you through simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, seeing God's covenant love means looking backwards to what God has done. He has chosen us. He has kept us. This is why we're here. But seeing God's covenant love also means looking forward to his promises that are yet to be fulfilled. So I've got to give you a few spoilers now. If you haven't read Malachi, or if you haven't read the Bible, let me just give you a few spoilers how it ends up. There's a day of the Lord coming. Things aren't going well for Judah. Things you might say aren't going well for us right now. Things certainly aren't going well for the Christians of Afghanistan right now. But there's a day of the Lord coming. The one who is promised in Malachi, the Lord Jesus, who is going to come to his temple and save his people, that Jesus we can say today, in 2021, that Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back to judge his enemies and all who will not believe in him and to save and to rescue his people. The story isn't over yet. There's more to come. And what God has already done in his faithfulness to us up until this day shows us that he will surely do what he has promised to do in the future. It will definitely come to pass. See, for them, God was saying to them, in effect, look, you're still in the middle of the story. I know circumstances are hard, and all the promises haven't been fulfilled yet, but you haven't come to the end of the story yet, and there is an end to the story. Trust me. He says the same to us. We too, as Christians in the 21st century, are in the middle of the story. We're not at the end yet. The best by far is yet to be. Sickness and suffering will pass. Relationships in the new creation that Jesus will bring about one day, those relationships will be perfect. No more fear of financial difficulties in the new world. And above all, we will see the God that we imperfectly worship now, and then we will perfectly worship him. See, this is what Malachi is doing here in this prophecy to people who are becoming cynical because they're focusing only on their circumstances. He's saying, yes, I am with you in these hard times. Because this is the God, by the way, isn't it, who has entered in to our hard times in the person of his son. He has come to suffer with us in Jesus. It's not that he, he doesn't care about our circumstances. He's with us in them. But he wants us not just to look to our circumstances. When we look for evidence of the love of God, look to what he has done. Look to what he is going to do. Look to the fact that you're here this morning, maybe hanging on by your fingernails, but you're here because he's brought you here, because he has 
loved you? Here's the answer when we're feeling apathetic and maybe even cynical in our worship. When we're coming here to listen to the word and we're singing our songs, but our hearts are somewhere else, here's the answer. Hear what God says about his love for us in his word. Here, we, need, we need the word. You can't fight doubt and cynicism and worship God with joy if you're not hearing his word, reading his word. We need the word. We need his word to hear him say, I have loved you. To look back and see what he's done for us to win us and how he has kept us on the way. To look forward to the complete and final fulfillment of all his promises to us in Jesus. When, with the Holy Spirit's help, we take our eyes for just a moment of our current circumstances and look backwards and forwards to see the huge sweep of the love of God for us, perfectly shown at the cross of Calvary, then our hearts will be stirred. Then the flickering flame will be fanned to burn brighter. And we will worship him as we're meant to worship him in spirit and in truth and with passion and with love. So one of the things I feel that God is saying to us this morning, especially to struggling Christians, is look up for a moment from your circumstances, which, which I'm in with you, by the way, but look up from those circumstances and listen to my voice in my word and all it tells you of my love for you. And for the person who's never really considered or responded to this love of God, the astounding thing is, that God shows us in his word the cross of his son, the cross of Jesus where Jesus died and he tells us that whoever believes in him will not perish but will inherit these promises of eternal life. Maybe you've been hearing this stuff about God choosing his people from before the foundation of the, the world and you're thinking, yeah, but what if I'm not one of those chosen people? You don't, you don't have to worry about that stuff. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life how do you know he chose you before the foundation of the world you believe in him believe in jesus and know this love of god flooding your life that can happen today let's pray